fitness as an adult should serve you outside the gym. We're not training just to become better in the gym. We're training for life. All the issues that you see with adults, they don't fall. They maintain good cardiovascular health. You know, they're checking all those boxes that rather than getting to a point where like, oh, I'm at a point where I need to make some changes. I don't want people to get there. I would rather be proactive and stay ahead of all these things because being reactive at 60 is really tough. But being proactive through 40, 50, and 60, it's way easier. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Inside the Inspired. I'm your host, Jonathan Cohen, and that was Mickey Bruckner, the CEO and founder of The Annex, a premier sports facility in New Jersey. Mickey has trained Super Bowl MVPs, World Series champions, Cy Young winners, and so much more. I've known Mickey for over a decade, and he's always been at the forefront of fitness. In this episode, we talked about the core foundation of fitness, how the training landscape has shifted to more of a focus on longevity than aesthetics, so this way you can play with your grandkids in the healthiest of ways even at 100 years old. Mickey has always preached this, and today you're going to learn why. Whether you're a beginner, an elite athlete, overcoming an injury, or just looking to level up your training, this is something that really helps me. And these principles, I believe, at the very least, can hopefully help you. That being said, please don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. All right, here we go. Please welcome to the show my friend, Mickey Bruckner. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Inspired. I could not be more excited for this episode. This individual has been so special to me since I was very young. He is one of the first people to ever teach me anything I knew about sports performance, about just having discipline, having a regimen, and recognizing what it means to be a meaningful contributing member of society in the sense that it starts with you and then building yourself up from the ground up. He has done it himself, the CEO and founder of the Annex Sports Performance. Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Mickey Bruckner. How are you today, sir? I'm well, Jonathan. That was quite quite the introduction. I appreciate it. Uh, you live up to the hype. Let's be real, man. Uh, so Mickey, he taught me how to bench. I think the first time I ever benched 185 was with you and not knowing at the time that relativity of how it's an important baseline to have. But at the same time, it's also not that big a deal. So anytime you reach a certain threshold, it's obviously great, but you celebrated it like it was a thousand pounds. And that meant the world to me and it stayed with me and it stays with me. And that's just the type of person you are. So Minky also trains professional athletes, high school athletes, college athletes, novices, all different types. So this conversation is going to go all different types of directions. And we're going to start by introducing Mickey. So Mickey, where are you from, man? How, how did you get into sports at all? Yeah. So uh, I was born and raised in Madison, New Jersey. Baseball was always my sport, although I did play three sports all the way up until high school. So football in the fall, basketball and hockey in, in the winter, and then and baseball uh, in the spring, summer. But I did pretty much practice baseball all year round. Back when I was young, there was no such thing as fall baseball and the amount of volume that kids play nowadays that was just not even around or available to kids my age when I was going up through my young childhood. So 
early exposure to multiple sports was of the era where, you know, you'd come home from school, you and your buddies would get a pickup game going of street hockey, basketball, touch football, wiffle ball, you name it, we were doing it. And we'd pretty much be outside until we were a sweaty mess and our parents would would call us in for dinner at the end of the day. But as I, you know, as I got older, I really started to see, you know, I was always a gifted baseball player from an early age that was very apparent. And that was always my goal. All I ever wanted to do was play professional baseball. So when I got into high school, I started to focus a little bit more on my path to becoming just a better overall well-rounded athlete. I was a big, strong kid, could play the game of baseball, but from a strictly like athletic standpoint, you know, I wasn't fast. I had no agility. I could just hit the ball. I could throw the ball, do those things really well. So my goal, I think my sophomore year, I stopped playing all three sports and just focused on baseball and trained all year long. You know, as a young kid, I was always focused when it came to things like sports, but school was always a challenge for me. You know, I had ADHD when I was a kid. I, you know, took medication through like elementary school and middle school. And I think in high school, I started to figure out through training that good, consistent, hard work on a day-to-day basis can contribute to success, you know, with no matter what you were doing. So I started to see that those fundamentals and those principles start to happen in training and all the work I was putting in started to show. And I started to get better and built my athleticism. I changed my body and it was a game changer for me. And then I started to realize, wow, if I just took this same principle of consistent effort, I can apply this to school. So I told my parents one day, I'm like, I don't want to take, take uh, medication anymore. I think I can figure this out on my own. So I just turn it around and that was kind of the turning point for me. So I got a scholarship to play college baseball, transferred my sophomore year, got injured two months before the major league draft was supposed to be drafted that year, but ended up having Tommy John surgery in May of 2003. Then I had Tommy John surgery again in May of 2004. And at that point it was kind of like, well, the likelihood of me playing baseball after college was significantly less now. And so I always loved training after baseball. You know, it was my next biggest passion. So once that kind of moment happened where I was, the possibility of me playing after, uh, after college was not as real. I started to focus a lot of my energy into training and really the need came from, you know, how can I get other athletes to avoid this type of career ending catastrophic injury? What can I do? What can I learn? How can I, how can I give more than what's being given to the overhead throwing athlete now? And at the time when I was training, it was, you know, your typical bench squat, deadlift, power clean, typical, just, you know, bilateral sagittal plane movements that you see in a typical college football weight room. And so I, I always thought there was something better. So my internships, the places I worked when I was out in Arizona, all really kind of exposed me to how training can evolve and should evolve for not just the overhead throwing athlete, but athletes in general. But my, again, my, my, my main focus was working with baseball athletes. And my goal was when I moved back to New Jersey in 2006, I wanted a place that can serve athletes in every potential resource, personal training, physical therapy, nutrition, recovery, anything, you know, if athletes needed to throw, they could do that. If they needed to hit, they could do that all in one facility. And really the vision came from my experiences out in Arizona, where I wanted to provide a place that was 
of the caliber of like a professional facility that like a professional athlete would get from all the resources. And I wanted to give that to the amateur athlete. So when I started my business in 2006, we were in a tiny basement gym in the basement of an office complex. I don't even think it was a thousand square feet. And I worked tirelessly and, you know, the vision was, was essentially what we have now at our current location. And um, yeah. And so early on, I, I trained a ton of athletes, all different ages, all different sports. But as I've gone further into my evolution, I think this is year 16 I'm in, I could be more selective with who I work with. I pretty much just exclusively work with baseball athletes and I kind of handle a lot of our like more like intense cases like post-op ACLs, post-op Tommy John shoulder surgery, like stuff like that, that leads a little bit more attention. And, and that's essentially where I'm at. And, and obviously growing the business and figuring it out how we can continue to serve more athletes and give them what they need. So that's kind of the long evolution of our business from me as an early, early kid playing sports, loving it. And then really just taking my love for sports and then passion for training and, and turning it into a profession. So Mickey, you touched on so many points and <laughs> I can't wait to parse out nearly all of them. First off, when it comes to ADHD, I think that's where I want to start just because myself, I remember seeing all different types of learning specialists and being prescribed medication to help me focus when ultimately, and this came up recently in another episode with a venture capitalist who also is a very well-rounded athlete that I find, at least with myself, there is a lot of energy associated with students, I guess, or kids who have ADHD. And there's this kind of notion of a lack of focus, right? I want to ask you, how did you find your training helped you focus your attention, if that makes sense? When you look at the trajectory of your career and you go to your parents and you say, I don't need this medication anymore. I can do this on my own. What was it in your regimen or your lifestyle at that early of an age that empowered you to make such a powerful decision? Yeah. I mean, I guess I was always a little bit more mature for my age. Once I started to train on a regular basis, I think when I was a sophomore, like I, I, like I jumped right in, you know, I'm not a type of like person where like I'm half in half out. Like I'm, I'm very much like all in or not in at all. So when I started training, I pretty much got into it and I was doing something every single day. And then I started to see just how like that consistent focus and, you know, discipline really. And again, this is one thing I try to tell, you know, anybody who who's trying to seek success in anything. I think, you know, the, the old adage success leaves clues where, you know, I think if you can you can take those principles that creating discipline and hard, consistent work, doing the boring, monotonous stuff that, that quite frankly, not a lot of people want to do, but that's what it takes to kind of get to that next level. If you can do those things on a consistent basis, whether it's training, whether it's building a company, whether it's building relationships, networking, it doesn't matter. I think those principles are so universal. And then I guess I was fortunate enough to see that early on. And so 
again, I started to see how my daily work in the gym started paying off as an athlete. And I, it was just an epiphany for me that, you know, I guess a lot of young kids don't have that context and that appreciation for, for that type of stuff. So it's like, you know, their, their efforts are fleeting where they think, Oh, I got, if I put in a week of hard work, I'm going to see results. And it's just not that way. You know, in, in many ways, fitness is that way. Building a business is that way. Anything that's worth building or, or, or pursuing is worth that is, is that way. So I think that really shaped me and my focus on here's my task. Here's my goal. I'm going to work tirelessly to it or for it, despite what happens or is thrown my way or whatever challenges are, are put in front of me. I'm just going to keep working. And I think I took that same focus in training and I applied it to school. And again, I, I wasn't the smartest kid, but I worked really hard. I figured out how, how I was able to learn and retain information and be successful as a student. You know, and I'm sure most people who knew me in high school or college, you know, if I told them back then, you know, I'm going to go on and start a business and be successful. Like, I don't know. I was a quiet, shy kid. Probably, probably would have disagreed with you. But, you know, again, it's it, just taking those principles. I, I was able to apply it. Like I said earlier, like I'm an all in person where I remember the day I decided where I'm going to stop pursuing baseball. It was a really tough decision. But my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, Perrin, I literally, I had the opportunity to come back to New Jersey from Arizona. And I said to him, like, I have to do this. I'm done with baseball, but I have to do this. Like, I can't not take this opportunity and I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to crush it. And so I moved back and she finished up her semester and moved back with me and, and the rest is history. So I think it's just understanding those principles and you just got to be patient with it, see it through. Like, I don't think people really take the time and give a, a sustained effort towards things to, to see it through. So I think it, that was the big thing for me. So this notion of hard work contributing to success, it also builds confidence. And yep. I feel like that's a really, at least in my own experience, where I slowly saw the progress it allowed for this, like you said, success leaves clues. It allowed for my confidence to really improve once I got the hang of what it means to get physically fit. And like you were saying before, to watch your body change, it was just this immense confidence that I don't even know. I started to believe that I could do almost anything yep. in this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> so the the other notion that you touched on is that you suffered from a few different injuries during your college career. Also, you're dealing with a recovery now, if I'm not mistaken as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just had my 5 weeks ago I just had my third elbow surgery on the same arm. This one far less uh invasive as the the first two, but just a lot of residual stuff from the first, first two surgeries. So it's part of being an aging athlete. You got to, it was a calculated thing. Like it was something that I had felt building up over time. And it was just something where like, I'm, I want to get it done now so I can recover and, and continue to do what I need to do from a professional standpoint, improving my quality of life. Like I still, I'm very physically active. Part of my job is I'm still, you know, on the field, throwing with athletes and I'm doing stuff alongside them. So I need to be in a position where I can do these things. And if I'm not, that's a problem. So 
for individuals that are recovering from surgery, injury, especially high performing individuals or people who are under the impression that they are too much in pain to actually perform or train at all. Can you offer some words of wisdom that maybe can help guide someone through that, for lack of a better, better way of putting it, dark place when they're going through that type of experience? It's funny you say that because for my first two surgeries, I remember prior to my injury, I was in, you know, I was a sophomore in college at the prime, like probably at the prime of my athletic career. And mentally I was in a dark place and I just kind of shut down after my first surgery. And I really didn't do much other than the PT that came along with it. I gained like 20 pounds and I, I was, I was not happy. And, and so I knew what doing nothing would bring this time around. It was like, I, I'm not going to let that happen. This obviously, like I said, this surgery was not as, as significant as the previous two, but for me, it's, there, there's always something can, that can be done. You know, obviously if you have a major injury where like you're, you can't walk or you can't do things like that, like there's always something you can do. The biggest thing you want to do is you got to move, you got to eat well, you got to take care of your rest and recovery. Like those things, you know, like anything else, you have to prioritize the things that are within your control and the things that you can do again from situation to situation, there's probably some stuff that you can't, you can't do. And so be it, you know, that's something you, hopefully you're with somebody, physical therapist who can kind of guide you and a medical professional who can guide you in the right direction in terms of what are your true limitations and do everything in, in your power to do something that's active, something that's going to get your heart rate up, something that's going to get you to sweat. But the worst thing you can do is, is, fall off the deep end. And cause it's a, it's a tough road back to get out of. And I think like anything is if you're consistent with, with some type of training effort, you're probably going to be consistent with your nutrition. You're probably going to be consistent with your sleep and all your other recovery uh, aspects. And I think again, like how you do one thing is how you do anything. So I think that's a really important thing for people to say, like, there's always something that can be done for me. Again, it was just my arm. So I did a ton of lifting on my non-injured arm. I did a ton of lower body lifting. You know, I did air bikes, but I couldn't use my upper body. I ran, I did everything I could just so I could mentally stay where I could be, you know, stay positive. And then it was one of those things that when I got the green light or when I get the green light to start training again, I want to basically hit the ground running. So it's really just kind of making sure you're not falling into that trap of like, oh, I can't do anything because I'm injured. Well, yeah, that, that might be the case if you have a serious injury, but a lot of scenarios where there's always, there's always something that you could do. So just touching off of recovery, because you mentioned it a couple times over here. We were once talking in your office about a sentiment that a friend once shared with me that I'm sure you're already familiar with. Treating fitness is this 360 approach where within the scope of a pie chart, you have different percentages allocated to the values of nutrition training, recovery, stress management. In terms of priorities, and we're going to get into a few different aspects with this, where do you find that the most productivity can be yielded based on that premise, if that makes sense? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's all very fluid, right? Like it depends on what are your training goals? What are you trying to do? Are you competing in some fashion? 
you know, it's all a sliding scale. Like for somebody who's just attacking general fitness, I would say I'm not training for anything specific, but I train five days a week. You know, I do three, three strength, uh, strength days and I do two to three low output days. So I think of it like a high output and low output days. So you call that 90 minutes to two hours on a given day. And so what are you training five to six hours a week, seven hours a week? It's really, again, it's based on what your volume of training is. So that's only seven hours of the week, eight hours of the week. And you take all the other hours of the week where you're eating, you're sleeping. I think the biggest thing to understand is they all work together. They're all kind of co-mingled where the more you put into prioritizing rest and recovery, sleep hygiene, getting good rest, good quality rest, making sure you're eating properly, staying hydrated. Those things, if managed properly, allow you to attack your training even harder. And I think that's something that's super important. And a lot of people focus so much on the training and yes, it is important, but if you're not doing all the other things on the back end, over time, you're just going to beat yourself up and you're going to lose your focus. You're going to lose, you know, your ability to train. And that's something that fitness and, and health is, is a marathon. You got to treat it as such. And I think if you set some good standards for yourself, like some non-negotiables, like whether it comes to nutrition or eating, like for me, I'm a big routine person and I need to make sure, like, obviously I'm a father of three kids. So I try to prioritize sleep as best as I can. So for me, like I make sure I'm not looking at my phone or on my computer or doing things right before bed because I want to make sure I get a good night's sleep. So I sleep well, like I do some biometrics through like the whoop strap and things like that, where I'm looking at the quality of my sleep. So, you know, normally on a, on a normal day, I'm up between four and five. And, but if I'm looking at my whoop strap and I'm, I've got three or four days where I'm like in the yellow or in the red, I'm like, all right. I'm going to sleep in an extra hour or two tomorrow. I need rest. And then hopefully I can get that sleep and rest and recovery back up to where it needs to be. And I think it's just having some understanding and appreciation and watching that stuff. And it does matter. It's not just about crushing yourself in the gym, because I think you can train hard and do all the right things in the gym. But if you're not prioritizing rest, recovery, nutrition, you're probably not going to get the results that you're looking for. So I mean, again, I would say it's, it's really, what are you looking to do? And then kind of reverse engineering that and setting up a plan and, and executing. I knew that when I posed the question that you take it in all the necessary directions that it would need to go from elite level to, like I said before, novice, I think that it's really important to recognize that on some levels, they all operate the same. The output may be different, but then you can proportionalize it accordingly. I remember when I was first like really getting into everything that I didn't really feel the pain associated with training maybe because I was younger. I was about 21 or 20 when I really first picked up weights. It was after the military and I was like, oh, wow, I could do this seven days a week. And I remember going for like weeks at a time without taking a day off of the weights till one day it was like, I can't do this. And that day came in the form of tearing my labrum. I was down and out, couldn't train at all, and uh, through mutual connection, friend of ours, Dimitri, 
he had diagnosed it. I didn't listen. I continued to train and I needed surgery as a result. So that was some of the mistakes that I had made when I didn't prioritize my recovery and ended up having to be out longer. But at the same time, one of the blessings in disguise is that it can kind of open up the landscape to focus on other things. Like you were saying, nutrition, recovery, and going off of that, as we slowly migrate into the training phase of everything, the annex is like this state of the art gym mixed with like a garage gym kind of vibe. It's like a rock and roll slash like elite performance center meshed into one from my perspective. I don't know if that's what you're going for, but that's definitely what you got for me. So something that you said before, how can I give more than what's being given now? So when it comes to continuing education and evolving as an athlete, how training can and should evolve in your words, how do you find that those sentiments kind of weave into one another? Because in my view, they all kind of overlap. And what I mean by that is I'm constantly reading. Like Mm -hmm. every day I read something, if it's one sentence or one book, I am aiming to read at least one thing. So I believe as an attorney in continuing education, and I know that's why they call it a practice as it is in any field. So what are some of the ways that you find your training, especially as you develop athletes? And I also want to point out that you were always ahead of the curve when it came to what training structures can and should look like. A lot of what people preach now, you were preaching way back then. So now when I think about it in reverse, it's really funny because it's like, wow, how did I just listen? That would have been like where I wanted to be maybe a decade sooner. But how do you find that as you continue to look at this continuing education, what are some of the resources and tools that you implement to help guide you as you continue to seek wisdom? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that could be a very long answer and I'll do my best to try to keep it as simple as possible. So the way I look at training now, I wouldn't say it's drastically different than what it used to be 10 years ago but it is different. At the end of the day, everything I'm trying to do, whether it's a general fitness client or an elite athlete, I'm looking at movement. And that's kind of the basis of how I'm looking at everything, right? The athlete, the client, they need to move well, you know, based what are their, what are the demands that they're putting on their body? Are they a runner? Are they a golfer? Are they a Cy Young one, like winner pitcher? I need to know like, what are they doing and what are the demands on their body from a movement biomechanics perspective? So I kind of work back from there. And I think for me, like I'm always reading books on, you know, strength and power development, speed development, injury prevention, you name it all from a physiological and strength biomotor standpoint. I'm always looking at that stuff, but I would say the biggest evolution for me in the last couple of years as a strength coach working with athletes is really understanding from the skill side and communicating with skill coaches, what are the specific needs, not only of that population, but for that individual. So we have a hitting coach and we're bringing on a pitching coach. A lot of my conversation is what's going on with this athlete. What are you seeing? What can't they do? Like what limitations are, are there things that you're trying to get them positioned? You're trying to get them in that they're just not able to, to get into. Okay. So from me, from a 
biomechanist and, and somebody who's trying to change movement, how can I do that? How can I make their job easier? So it's a constant back and forth dialogue. Gone are the days where the strength coach would be like, Hey, here's our, here's our workout guys, fist bumps. Let's get after it and really push them and let's grind it out. No, you need to understand. Like I had a really interesting conversation with a medical director for a professional team the other day. And, and he put it really well. He goes, what is that athlete's superpower? What makes them so unique? What allows them to hit a ball 500 feet? What allows them to throw a ball 98? And then what, what contraindications do they have? Like what issues from a biomechanical movement perspective do they have? Now, sports is very unique because you also don't want to take away that very thing, that, that very superpower that makes them do what they do. So you got to be very careful with what type of interventions you're giving these athletes because you, you need to make sure they still can do the thing that they're getting paid to do, but maybe how can we, how can we get them to do it a little bit better, maybe a little bit more efficient with better movement dynamics, or we just kind of say, if we change those things, then we might take away that very superpower. So how can we just make them as robust and resilient as possible? So that's from the athletics perspective. Now, the way I look at training from an, an adult standpoint, like obviously I, I put a lot of our things into buckets like strength, power, speed, endurance, any of those things. And so I have an athlete who comes to me or, or maybe like you come to me, Jonathan. So you say, here's what I want to do. Here's, here's what I'm looking to get out of my fitness. And then I say, okay, what are you doing currently? Do you have any injury history and what's your training history? What, you know, what's, are you running marathons? When are you running marathons? And so like, there's gotta be a plan to what you're doing. And then it's say, all right, well, what, again, from a movement perspective, what limitations do you have or, or don't have like, great. If, if, if we can check all those boxes from a movement perspective, now it's let's fill those buckets, strength, speed, power, all those types of things. And depending upon where you are, in chasing those outside endeavors, like we might focus on strength in your off season when you're not running consistently. Whereas when you're running and doing a ton of mileage and building up volume there, we're probably not going to be doing as much strength. So it's just a matter of saying like, what, what is the athlete or client need and, you know, meet them where they are and provide a program and a consistent, you know, type of goal for them to hit on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think for me, I think strength coaches or people who prioritize strength over everything else from an athlete standpoint, there's a point where an athlete's strong enough and, and chasing more and more strength really has diminishing returns. You know, for me and my fitness, like I'm at the point where like I could continue to get stronger and stronger. I mean, I don't really think that's necessary because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, I'm out on the field. I need to throw. I need to do these things. If I just keep chasing more strength, I'm because I'm going to be more stiff. I can't rotate like it. So it's just a matter of understanding the the give and take when it comes to chasing these things. You know, there's always there's always a taxation, right? Like you know, if you're going to chase this, you're going to lose this. So it's it's always again, it's always very fluid, and getting the the client and athlete to understand like what what is it that they ultimately want, get them to understand what the side effects are of that. And then, you know, kind of move and move them forward towards their, their overall goal. So it can be very complex, but from my perspective, it's pretty simple. It's just a matter of like, you just need to have open dialogue with that person to understand 
what they're truly looking to accomplish. Sometimes with adults and, and general fitness, it's a moving target. To me, the, the litmus test for any adult is really health. They got to feel good. Can they come into the gym and train tomorrow? Can they run around with their kids? Or are they training too hard that they're banged up and they can't do the things they want to do outside the gym? Like fitness as an adult should serve you outside the gym. You know, we're not training just to become better in the gym. We're training for life. We're training to become healthier. We're training to, so we can move better. So when, as we get older, we maintain mobility and strength so that all the issues that you see with adults, they don't fall. They maintain good cardiovascular health. You know, they're checking all those boxes that rather than getting to a point where like, oh, I'm at a point where I need to make some changes. I don't want people to get there. I would rather be proactive and stay ahead of all these things because being reactive at 60 is really tough, but being proactive through 40, 50 and 60, it's way easier. So I, I think it's, you know, that's kind of my take. And, and that's, that's the biggest difference between athletes and, and general fitness clients is like, you know, the demands that are put on them, the way they're being, uh, tested or, or, you know, what's it, what the demand on their body is just distinctly different from a professional athlete perspective. So I was out here like nodding my head for, I think 30 seconds. I don't know if I've done that in a minute, but the reason that I was doing that is because this notion that we've also kind of talked about in the past of, and I'm going to credit Dr. Peter Atia with this being a badass 100 year old. Can you squat down at a hundred years old and grab your great grandchildren and hug them pain-free? Can you walk up the steps without falling? Can you carry your grocery bags without it being too taxing? Can you put a suitcase in an overhead bin on an airplane at a hundred years old pain-free? Like these are some of the things like you're saying, training for life. And I think it's so important to share that because like I said at the beginning, when I posed the question, you were always ahead of the curve. And I think that that sentiment should be thematic as people broach this topic. And when they broach any type of fitness, I train six days a week, sometimes seven. One can kind of bleed into the other. And then some weeks I'll have five days, but I can't say I've trained less than five days in a really, really long time. And the reason behind that is like the mental clarity that I get and the confidence boost and the productivity boost and all the benefits that go along with it, including the dopamine hits, right? So there's so many questions I still have left to ask you. So <laughs> we're just going to keep running. Yeah. With it. I, I think the biggest thing I want to really stress with adults is um, because I fell into this trap to be to full disclosure when I was maybe in my late twenties, no, like early thirties, right? Like I had just, my girls had been born a month before my 30th birthday. And I think it was, um, my business was, was growing and I was sleeping a lot less and I was exhausted from raising twins. And I started to slowly get away from training consistently. And I was still trained, but it was more or less like twice a week. And I was still strong, but all the other, like, I, I didn't move well. I didn't feel good. At, and it was just, it was really frustrating. And I had gotten to the point where I didn't want to train because I didn't want to know how out of shape I was relative to where I was, you know, five years prior to that. And I think it was, so that was 
that was a couple of years. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I never, I never made time for myself. I never prioritized training and taking care of myself. I was always, you know, being a dad, I was trying to serve others, trying to build my business, trying to, you know, do all these things I needed to do. And I think it was after my son was born, maybe a year after he was born, it was towards the end of the year. I, I literally had like a, a, a moment where I was like, I cannot do this anymore because if I keep going the way I'm going, I'm going to be 40 and I'm going to be, I'm going to feel like garbage. And most of all, I'm not going to be who I say I am. I'm not going to be the person that I need to be in my role. So it got to the point, and this is where I want to stress to parents is that you can't serve others until you serve yourself. So you have to put yourself and your health forward. Like that, that has to be first and foremost, because if you're not healthy, you know, if you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're, you know, if, if anybody depends on you and you're not prioritizing your health, then you can't give every bit of, of what you're capable of giving. I hired a coach to just program my training. I found someone that I knew would program my workouts similar to the way I would want them to be programmed. I jumped in with a group of other strength coaches across the country and we started, we, we got into this group. It was called Operation Silverback. And it was, a bunch of guys similar to me on strength facilities, former athletes, you know, strong guys, like, but needed, uh, just some direction. And so that was the catalyst for me. And my fitness exploded. I went from training once to twice a week to five, six times a week, every day, my nutrition. And it was, it was such a, an enlightening experience because it was so obvious how much my productivity and my ability to be a dad, be a business owner, be a leader, like, it just upped all those, those other things on a level that was not where it was previously. And so I think that's the most important thing is you have to prioritize these things. And the more you do it, the more you'll see it start to bleed in other aspects of your life. And you said it earlier, right? By training every day, like you're racking up small little wins every day and that just builds confidence and that builds momentum. And that's a, it's so compounding. And then over time, now you just have all these wins and it's, it's a powerful thing to understand, but I would say from an adult and a busy working person, who's a, who's a parent, you got to do it. You got to figure out. And my type of training is different for anybody else. And it's, as long as you're doing something and you're consistent and then you're progressively challenging yourself, you can't do the same thing for, you know, six months. That's the same workout. Like you got to progressively push yourself over time but I think it's prioritizing doing it on a day-to-day basis. So it's got to be part of your day, no matter what. Man, I couldn't have said it better myself. We're both obviously very passionate about it and the execution and the practice of it. In my view, at least it keeps me humble and keeps me accountable. And it allows me to just find ways. I'm always looking for something to get better at. There's always a skill I can improve on. Or, you know, like you said, there's kind of a saturation point with strength where, you're going to get stiff or there's not so much bang for your buck with it. And that kind of bleeds into this question of what is a well-rounded athlete? And as much as I want to talk about my own personal experience with it, ask you questions about how I can improve my own fitness, right? It's really about the general population and people that are looking to kind of get started. We can also talk about elite athletes too, because I think obviously that's something we both care about. I think that when I look at 
my training career and how lost I was at points that I really needed like one or two meaningful pieces of advice that I think could have put me on the right path at an earlier stage. And the value of understanding what a well-rounded athlete means, strength, speed, agility, how to focus on all of them, but none of them, how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? You said it earlier. So it's kind of like this notion that in my view, a well-rounded athlete is someone who can, well, at least for me, my goals with it of what it means for Jonathan Cohen I want to be able to run a marathon or at least a half marathon on command, lift heavy, but I also understand the value in controlling your own body weight. And I get a lot out of calisthenics, so I don't have to put too much stress in my body through weights and putting up hundred pound dumbbells for no reason other than to show my ego I can. So being able to move in multiple directions, but above all, staying injury free and eating well without it compromising my lifestyle. That's kind of a bit of what well-rounded athlete means to me, but I want to know what it means to you. Yeah. I think if you can move your body uh, under load pain-free, so squat, press, hinge, lunge, push, pull, all, any of those types of things. If you look at any of the functional movements, like you should be able to do those things under load pain-free. And I think that's one thing where, strength and resistance training gets a bad rap where like some people say like, Oh, I can't squat. I'm like, well, then pick a squat variation that works for you. You stand out of a chair every day. So you got to be able to squat. (laughs) And that's something where like we do with, with our clients, it's like, you kind of, there's progressions and lateralizations to every move. You know, not everybody has to do a bar on your back, back squat for me. Like I can't remember the last time I did a straight bar back squat because it just never agreed with me. So same. You know, when I started getting back into really back into training, I picked a squat variation that would allow me to move my body under load effectively and something that I can progressively load, you know, and that's the biggest key. Like, so pick a variation that works for you. And then I think this is where, like, if you're really serious about this, I think I can't, I can't stress enough how important having a coach is. I think everybody need coach needs coaches, whether it's putting you in the right path and choosing the right movements, or at the end of the day, even as something as simple as somebody that you're accountable to answering to like, Hey, how'd that workout go? Well, I didn't do it. I'm like, well, you're never, you're, you're never going to get from a to B where you want to go. If you like, if you can't show up, like that's, that's the first thing you got to do. So, so you got to do those, be able to do those things. Uh, I think you need to prioritize some level of strength because strength is kind of the, is, is the cup that holds all of the other physiological things that we're trying to build. Like you talked about being able to run a marathon. Well, if I don't have a requisite amount of strength, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right. Like if I can't produce force over time, I'm going to lose my efficiency as a runner and I'm just going to get weaker because, you know, the more you run, like you start breaking down muscle mass and all those things. And obviously you're not going to be bodybuilder out there running marathons, but you need some level of strength. That's going to be able to maintain, you know, the stress that's being put on your joints. You need to have mobility and flexibility, you know, just simple functional patterns. Can you squat? Can you, can you rotate both ways equally? Can you flex and extend your spine without being in pain? And then from just like an overall locomotive standpoint, can you crawl? Can you skip? Can you jump? Can you do all these things? Like those things that you need to do something that's going to prioritize some level of like power because that's going to be important too, as you start to get older and older, like that's something that you lose pretty quickly if you're not prioritizing it. 
And again, that's where like, you got to pick something that works for you based on what your injury history is, training history is what you have access to. And ultimately what you can be consistent with to me, again, in fitness is being pain-free going out and being able to go out and do anything that's thrown at you, not as a specialist, right? Like, well, you said, I want to be able to run a marathon on, on, you know, on command. You're not going to be an elite marathoner. You want to have a, a requisite amount of strength and fitness that you can be able to do that act at any point in time. As an adult, that's your fitness test. Like if I want to go out and run a mile, great, but fitness shouldn't just be about running. You have to be well-rounded in the things and the things that you're pursuing. So to put it really simply, you need to lift weights. You need to do cardio work, both like intense versus like very slow, like walking. I think going on a day, like a daily walk every day is a super important thing. And I think if you can do that stuff every day, like high intensity movements, maybe three days a week, low intensity movements, three days a week and prioritize your rest and recovery nutrition. Those are kind of the biggest things. I know it's again, fitness to me is it's very user specific if you want to call it that. But I would say like, if you're in pain, you need, you need to probably seek a medical professional or a PT or somebody like that. The goal is to get out of pain. If you're in that situation, once you're out of pain, now let's start to build some type of strength, some type of movement capacity, and just the ability to tackle daily life without feeling like you're restricted, you know? And that's, again, like I said, it's very, it's very specific to the person and what your life puts on you. Like the demands on my life are very different from somebody who works a desk job. Right. But it couldn't, maybe it isn't if they're, you know, going and doing marathons, but I I know it's kind of a long winded answer, but I would say like anything else, it really just depends, you know, and, and I hate to kind of be so general with that response, but something where like, you need to have clarity with what you want to do and then kind of reverse engineer, like, what do I have to do to get there? So. hundred percent. I think you covered the holistic approach and that's why I really wanted you on this show, because like I said, you've always been ahead of the curve and just to touch on like one or two more things, being able to pull yourself up. Why I love calisthenics, being able to pull yourself up or push yourself up off the floor jump in a jump squat or you know jumping lunges or laterally doing core work that allows you to have the more i find that the stronger my core got the more connected i became to who i am and i had this notion in my head where i wanted to treat my core like i used to treat my chest where i would stop giving so much attention to doing bench press and flies and all these other things and really just start to get like i started to do a core day where i would do six to seven different movements kind of bodybuilder style and give it an athletic twist and then slowly watch my entire body change in that way and with all that like i said earlier came more confidence so as we kind of round this thing out and you know almost bring it home fitness is always kind of selling this stigma of a one-size-fits-all solution. And it really frustrates me because there's either a product, a powder, tool, one thing out there that people, for whatever reason, believe that if they acquire this one thing, they will have reached fitness or be able to get to fitness sooner. 
I think people are now kind of past the, oh, if I take this pill, then I'll get a six pack overnight. I think they've kind of eliminated that. But what's your take on this whole kind of everyone selling a solution to health? Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody wants to have their unique stamp on it. Maybe they did something that was so life-changing for one person, but that's one person. That's, that's an N of one, right? Like, and I think typically people who take that approach are hanging their hat on something so that they can sell it. And so they can say like, look at what works because nobody can sell consistent mundane, the basics, nobody like that's not sexy. That's not going to, that you can't put that on Instagram. You can't put that on social media. Like nobody wants to hear that the path to where you want to go is just a slow and steady effort for a lot of people. Like they can't wrap their head around that. They don't have the focus and the discipline to do that. So they want something quick and easy to get them there and it might get them there, but they're, they're cheating the system and that it's not going to be sustainable. And so I think the biggest thing you can do is, is like we talked about earlier is just create habits and disciplines that will allow you to put forth that, that effort every single day. And most importantly, do it when you don't want to do it. Anybody can, anybody can execute on a habit or, or anybody can build a habit when it's convenient for them and when it's easy, that's, that's simple. But as soon as things get hard or life gets thrown at you and you have challenges, it's very easy to just move away and, and, you know, kind of move on. And that's why so many people fail and they struggle to maintain like longevity from a health standpoint. But really it's, it's the old, it's, it's simple, not easy, right? You know, it's one of those things where you just got to do the work. And I think, I would argue that most people know the things that they shouldn't be doing. So just don't do those things. Like if you can, if you could like every day, just don't do the things you know, you shouldn't do intuitively. I'm sure most people, if you were to ask them, what do you think you should be doing to build some health and fitness? I'm sure most people would say they need to eat properly. I'm sure most people they need to sit would say they need to exercise. And I would not make it any more complicated than that to get started. As you start doing it, like you have an, you have an extensive training age. I've been training for almost 30 years, probably. It's been a long time. I have to change the way I train if I want to continue to evolve. And again, like my fitness is different than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago as an athlete. So you know, my body's changing, my stress tolerance is changing, my, you know, my lifestyle is changing. You know, it's it's just one of those things where you're kind of hitting a moving target. But if you just do something and hit the big rocks every day, then you're you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. And I think that's where like it's tough to sell that because most people they don't they don't want to buy that. That's not that's not you know a path to riches for for an online influencer. Like it's just not it's not in the cards. So Mickey, as you look forward to the future for your visions of the annex and your training and your family, what do you see for yourself coming next? You know, it's, it's funny. Like I'm at the stage now where 
we have a, a good business. We have a track record of, of doing great work with athletes. My biggest challenge now is saying, how do we continue to grow and scale, but still maintain the quality of what we're doing? To me, at the end of the day, our core values are serving the person in front of you, giving the people that within our facility the best possible training experience and enriching their lives through fitness and training. How do I continue to keep that quality while still trying to grow? You know, obviously from a, a business standpoint, like I feel like we are capable of doing that, but I want to make sure it doesn't get watered down. I want to make sure that every athlete that's coming in here is getting what they need. And so by growing, my hope is to only bring this quality training to more athletes. And there's a lot of places out there that don't prioritize and, and, and care about the things we care about. And they're just in it to make money. And, and that's fine. People can do that. I have no, I pass no judgment. Like people get into this business for all the different reasons. Like, but I got into this business because I wanted to help athletes get better and enrich their lives and, and hopefully get them to where they want to go, whether that's high school baseball, college baseball, professional baseball. And my hope is, is we can continue to do that. And then at the end of the day, I also want to provide futures for my, for my team, my coaches, the people that have helped build the Enix. you know, yes, it's been my vision, but I wouldn't be here without the, the, the consistent effort of, of my team and my coaches. And then for me, like as a father, I want to, I want a bright future for my kids. I want to provide a, a life that my parents provided me a wonderful life and gave me opportunities. It, it gave me and shaped me and, and give, gave me the opportunity to pursue what I love now. So, you know, in a way it's really just kind of pay it forward, do, do all the things I can do to, to kind of continue to help athletes along their path, both from a physical, psychological, and just emotional standpoint. I think that's, it's a, it's an evolving profession and, and the athletes. So when I started in 2008 or 2006, the athletes that were coming in, they're not, they didn't have the same challenges that kids do nowadays. Like it's, it's a different world. And you know, I don't have all the answers, but hopefully I can help guide them and our team can guide them and put them in the best case scenario to succeed and, and ultimately achieve their goals. So to be honest, it's how we do it kind of evolves on a, on a day-to-day basis, but really the, the core values are really what drive us in, in terms of providing a good experience for our kids. So Mickey comes across in everything you do. Thank you for taking the time to impart your knowledge, wisdom, and experience on us today. I've been learning from you since I was but a boy and I continue to learn from you today. It's really cool to see everything that you've done and all the athletes at the amateur and elite and professional levels that, that you have over the course of your career, how your own training career has evolved, how the annex has evolved and how you continue to evolve. It's really a testament to, like you said, what do you have to give and you just keep giving, man. Thank you again for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Where can everyone find you? You can visit our website. That's annexsportsperformance.com. If you want to find me personally, my Instagram handle is at Mick Bruckner. Real simple. So B-R-U-E-C-K-N-E-R. Most of my most of my stuff is about my kids and my family, <laughs> but I'll throw some training posts around there. I'll bang some weights around and, and throw it up there. So <laughs> Mickey, awesome having you on, man. I hope we get to train soon. Yeah. And yeah, man, until the next one. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Inside the Inspired. 
As you learned today, we're training for life. In the words of Dr. Peter Atia, who I find to be a premier resource on this particular topic, understanding the importance of the lifespan versus health span curve. Keep those curves as even as possible so you can live for as long as possible with the highest quality of life in order to see your families thrive. I'll link to his information in the show notes. Please don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. All the reviews are really helping kind of boost the attention that this podcast is getting. And as I continue to get time, I'm going to release more episodes. I'm really psyched about the guests that we have coming on the show. There's so much I'm learning, and I just really hope someone else is getting something out of it. So... Hope you guys enjoy. That's all for this one. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, stay mindful.